0: We're continuing looking at the last words of Jesus to his followers. And tonight, he sort of now takes a little bit of a shift, if you will, in the focus of what he's going to talk to his disciples about. And it's obviously a great reminder to us as well, because he's going to remind them, and he's not going to sugarcoat this at all, that as they go out as his disciples to spread the gospel They are going to come against the hatred of the world. And he wants them to know the reality of what they're going to face. They are going to face the animosity of the world. They're not going to be accepted by the world. The message that they are bringing is not going to be accepted by the world. And then Jesus goes into not only the opposition that they're going to face, but why this opposition is the way that it is. And, and he's going to then end chapter 15 with sort of, and then again, a recommissioning of the disciples. And I think we're going to see how this all can apply to our lives as well. But I want to start with this. This is sort of the over, overarching uh, theme, if you will, of this passage of Scripture. Earlier on in the Gospel of John, Jesus said to his followers, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And when you think about that, you're thinking to yourself, wow, is Jesus cruel? <laughs> yeah, he, he knows we're sheep, and yet there he goes. He's throwing us out there in the midst of wolves. And you're thinking to yourself, why, God? Why Why do you do that? And, and And there's a couple things that we need to always remember. Is that if Jesus is sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves, if Jesus here is saying to his followers, listen, I'm sending you out into the world. You're not of the world, but you're going to be in the world and you're going to testify of me. But the world is going to hate me because it hated me before it hated you. And why then is Jesus doing that? And why can he do that so confidently? Because Jesus knows that if we follow him as his disciples, that we will have everything we need to stand up to the world, to the opposition of the world to have the strength that we need to even be sheep in the midst of wolves and and to overcome and, and to see victory rather than defeat. So, not being cruel at all, Jesus is trying to get us to see what a life can be like when it's surrendered to Him and we follow Him as our shepherd and we allow Him to make us strong then it doesn't matter what environment we are sent into, that we have the all the equipment, we have been outfitted, if you will, by God with everything we need, that no matter what environment we find ourselves in, we not only can survive, we can thrive in that environment. And that's what Jesus wants his disciples to understand again and grasp. Because remember, he's going away. And they're so afraid and they're they're filled with fear and trepidation about what's coming. And Jesus wants them to understand, first of all, look, I know that you're going to come up against the hatred of the world. So he's not trying to, again, mask the reality of what they're going to have to deal with. God always deals in reality. God always tells us just how bad it's going to be, if you will. But when God does that, he also tells us, but even though it's going to be bad, You're going to, through me, have everything you need. You don't need to be afraid of what's coming. You don't need to back down. You don't need to shrink from your responsibility. You can stand up even in the midst of this environment and you can thrive. So with that, notice the words of Jesus in verse 18. He says to his followers, If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me first. Now I want you to note something. Notice how this is right after his command at the end of verse 17 to love one another. And that's so important. Because again, remember from last week, why is Jesus so wanting his followers to love on each other and to have fellowship with each other and to stay connected with each other? Because Jesus understands, if you are going to be out there in the world and you're going to face animosity and adversity and and hatred and persecution in the world, then you need to have a group of people that you belong to, that you feel safe with, that that you have a like-mindedness with, that you can connect with, because you're not going to connect with people out there in the world for the most part. You're going to need that group of believers that you can come back out of the world and sort of be strengthened and encouraged with. So that's why loving each other and being part of a of a community of believers and being part of a fellowship where we are uh, friends with each other and we have relationships with each other and we mutually encourage each other is so important because this is the way God set it up. Love one another because the hatred of the world is coming. And God has already said, Jesus already said, you belong to me, I love you. So, you know, you've got me, but you also have each other. And so that's the context here, the very important context of of what Jesus is saying here. I do want to point this out as well. When Jesus talks about the world hating us as followers, he's talking, he's describing the system, if you will, of the world, the underlying philosophy and perspective of a world that is in rebellion, opposition, and, and against God, you see. That's what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word world. Uh, It's the same as when he talks about the ruler of this world, being Satan. And and why Satan even, in the temptation of Jesus, could take Jesus up to a pinnacle and show him the kingdoms of the world and offer those kingdoms to Jesus. Because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, and Jesus said, I'm not of this world, and neither are his followers, you and I, of this world. So this world predominantly is marching, if you will, out of step from God. Now, obviously, God wants us to go into the world and shine our light and testify and witness because God will save more people out of the world as you and I go into the world, but we've got to also maintain our distinctiveness. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. The other thing I wanted to say about this word world, though, is, 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 is I think, important, and that is it's the Greek word "cosmos." It's where we get our English word cosmetic from. And when you think of cosmetic, you think of something external, something that is outside. And, and what that reminds us of is that a lot of the makeup, and I'm not, no pun intended, a lot of the makeup of the world is external. It, there, there's there's very little substance to it that there's very little solidity to it uh, there, there's very little if any security or stability in it. it it's all this sort of facade if you will that that's the world you see when you start digging below the surface that there's not much there it's all cosmetic it's all smoke and mirrors it's all fluff the thing that God offers, human beings, and what God offers us in Jesus Christ is that of great substance, that which, you know, you you can dig and all you want to, and and there's going to be real life there, and reality there, and security there, and stability there, and it's not surfacy, it's something of real substance. That's the contrast between the life that we have in God and this sort of cosmetic world that we live in. And Jesus is saying, if the world hates you, if it detests you, if it persecutes you, remember something, disciples, it hated me first. It hated me first. Jesus was detested. I mean, there was a time early on in Jesus' ministry where he was popular. But when Jesus began to speak truth, more and more people didn't like him and they walked away. Because he says earlier on in the Gospel of John, the world didn't want to hear the truth because I exposed the world for what it is. I told the world that they were wrong. And they didn't want to hear that they were wrong. And so they began to detest me and they began to persecute me. By the way, the word persecute, other words we could use is harass, pick on. And many of you out there in the world, as you work in the world week in, week out, day in, day out, that's what you experience sometimes as a Christian. You know, you get picked on for being a Christian. You get harassed for being a Christian. You get made fun of. Uh, you, you, you get pestered. Because that's a good substitute for the word persecuted. Because the word persecuted literally means to run after somebody. To, to never leave them alone. And and that's what it really means. That's what they did to Jesus. If you study the Gospels, what did the religious leaders constantly try to do to Jesus? They kept trying to pick and pester Jesus. They would send people at him to try to trick him, to try to trap him in something, to try to get him to contradict himself. They were always sent people after him to pick and pester and harass and trouble him. That's what it means to persecute. And Jesus is saying, look, if you follow me, if you're going to be one of my disciples out there in the world that is opposed to me, because Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me, you're going to face that same hatred. You're going to face that same persecution. You're going to be detested just like I am. And he wanted to prepare his disciples for that. But notice what he says. If you belong to the world, if you were from within what the world was. He said, then the world would love you. The world would befriend you as its own. You'd belong to the world. And obviously, everyone wants to belong. Every human being wants to belong. And Jesus is saying, you belong to me. You're mine. And now you belong to my body, the church. So you have a place to belong. You don't have to try to fit in out there in the world. You go into the world to be a witness for me. But don't try to fit into the world because the world predominantly is out of step with God. So if we're in step with the world, we're out of step with Jesus Christ. When we are in step with Jesus Christ, we're going to be out of step with the world. That's just the way it is, you see. And so he says, you don't belong to the world. However, because you do not belong to the world, but I chose you out of the world, for this reason, the world hates you. By the way, the word, the word chose means that Jesus Christ literally selected each one of us for himself, for his purpose. That's what it means to be chosen by God. Jesus selected each one of us for his purpose to accomplish his will, not ours. That's what we were chosen for and his will his purpose is for us to go into the world and make disciples Matthew 28:18 through 20 baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo Jesus says I'm with you always even unto the end of the age that's what it is go make disciples shine your light be a witness testify of jesus christ but know that as you walk in step with me you're going to be walking out of step with the world see if we want to fit into the world we can and that's why jesus starts off verse 18 by saying if the world hates you because it's not automatic that the world's going to hate christians because some christians so want to to fit in and belong to the world that they walk more in step with the world and out of step with jesus so not every Christian is going to, in a sense, be a disciple and be willing to walk in step with Jesus and out of step with the world. Some Christians are going to compromise the message. They're going to water it down. They're going to, you know, they don't want to cause waves or whatever. So, so, so that the world will, will be okay with them. And that's one of the things that as a disciple, you and I have to reconcile in our minds is that we've got to get to a point where it's okay that the world isn't okay with us. You see. And that's what Jesus was saying here. You don't belong to the world. You belong to me. And that should be enough. Because I know you need to belong. And so never forget, I chose you. I selected you for a specific purpose and plan. And I want you to accomplish my plan and my purpose for your life. Not the world's. You see. Don't be conformed to the world, Romans 12, 2. Don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world, 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world is passing away. So Jesus goes on to say, Remember, be mindful, verse 20, what I told you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my word, they will obey yours. And so notice, Jesus is saying here, insofar as we identify with him, our experiences will be similar to his. That's what he's saying. If we're willing to identify with Jesus Christ, then we can't expect something different than what happened to Jesus. And yet, many times we do. It's like, I somehow think, well, I'm going to live for Christ, but I'm going to escape the hatred and persecution of the world. And Jesus here is saying to his own disciples and to us, no, if you're going to identify with me, if you're going to walk step by step with me, then you're going to walk out of step with the world. And then that's going to invite the world's hatred and, and persecution and all of that upon yourself. But you you can't have it both ways. And even as James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If, if The most probably miserable person is the Christian who's trying to both fit in with Christ and fit in in the world at the same time. First of all, too, that's just exhausting to try to... because You, you can't do it. See. And Jesus calls us to... Be all in for him. And so he's simply reminding us look, if you're going to follow me, then you've got to expect the same kind of experiences that I had. If they persecuted me, then they're going to persecute you. As a disciple, he's saying, you can't expect to be treated better than your master. If I'm your leader, if I'm the Lord, and they did this to me, then they're going to do this to those who follow me. That's the way it works. And then he goes on to say, verse 21, but they will do all these things to you on account of my name. Because you're willing to identify with me because of that. Because they do not notice, verse 21, know the one who sent me. Notice it's not even that Jesus says they don't know me. He said they don't know the Father. They've never come to know God the Father. They cannot comprehend. They cannot perceive God the Father. They think they do. They think they know God. Think of all the Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day who had Him crucified, who thought He was blaspheming because He claimed to be the Son of God. And they thought that they were serving God. And that they were totally off base. Jesus, in fact, is going to point that out here in just a minute again. So Jesus says in verse 20, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. You should add the word, and I'm not, we're not adding to the Bible, but literally, this is, you, you should add the little word as guilty in front of guilty. Because it's not that Jesus here is teaching that they wouldn't have any guilt at all. What he's teaching here again and bringing to light is the principle that the greater light someone has, the greater responsibility they have. And I'm going to show you this very clearly here in just a moment. So notice again what he says. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be as guilty of sin. In other words, now they're more guilty because I came and I spoke to them. They heard the word of God straight from the Son of God. Notice he goes on to say, they no longer even have an excuse for their sin, a pretext, a pretended cause or alleged reason, which by the way, Jesus just comes along to all of us and says, you realize that when you have me, you have no more excuses. You might use an excuse, and even as Christians, we can we can throw out all kinds of pretexts Pretended reasons and alleged causes of why we're not doing what we should be doing and why we do what we're not supposed to be doing. But can I tell you, right from the word of God itself, none of those excuses will cut it. We have no excuse. If we know what God's will is, then we're responsible to do it. And there's no no excuse, there's no reason, there's no cause that we can say to God and offer to God and say, well, God. You know, but that's not going to happen. Jesus shuts down all of that. And we need to remember that as well. That, that line to me doesn't need to just be applied to the world. That needs to be applied to us as well. We need to get rid of our excuses. And we need to take responsibility. That's what Jesus is saying here. Then he goes on to say, The one who hates me hates my father too. Again, tying the Trinity and God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit all up as one, three distinct persons, but one God. And then he says, If I had not performed among them the miraculous deeds that no one else did, they would not be again as guilty of sin. You see, in these miraculous deeds that Jesus did, these things were meant by God for people to see God in them. They were meant to produce faith. They were fit by God to produce faith. And God stopped me in my tracks right there, a few weeks ago, as I was you know, finalizing my thoughts for tonight, and it was like God said to me, Jeff, you need to be aware of this in your own life. And you need to remind others to be aware of this as well. That there are things that God's going to do. There's works that God's going to do. There's actions that God is going to take in my life that's, that's meant for me to see God in it. There are ways that God moves and things that God does and actions that God takes that God literally fits to produce faith in me. And I better seize that. I I better take advantage of that. I, I better allow what God has sent into my life to produce something to produce it instead of letting it pass by. Because think about the tragedy here. God himself was in their midst doing these miraculous deeds that no one else had done. And it did them no good. It sort of ties in even with the message from Sunday about think about the Pharisee that went to the temple and prayed and left not right with God. All of his spiritual activity never changed him a bit because his heart wasn't right to begin with. And And God wanted to shape his heart and change his heart and, and all his activity never allowed for that. Same thing here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was doing miracles in front of these people. And it, it never produced faith. They never saw God in all of it. And it was like, God got me to a point it's like, God, help me not to miss you. When you want me to see you in something, help me to see you. when you want to produce faith in me through an act or a work or a deed or some miracle or something that you're doing or some movement, Lord, help me to help me to get it because too many experience God and the work of God and never let it produce anything in them they, they never see beyond. The thing itself. And that's very tragic. So he goes on to say, if I had not performed among them the miraculous deeds that no one else did, they would not be as guilty of sin. But now they have seen, they have experienced these deeds and have hated both me and my father. Now this happened, Jesus says, to fulfill the word that was written in their law. They hated me without reason. They hated me undeservedly. You ever had someone not like you and you didn't deserve it? Jesus understands. And isn't it interesting that the very law that these religious leaders took pride in was the very law and word of God that was going to condemn them. Think about that. They rested in the law of God. And yet, the very law that they took pride in was one day going to condemn them. Now keep your finger there and go back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. I want to show you this principle about the greater the light, the greater the judgment, and the greater the responsibility. And this is just one place that this is supported in Scripture beyond what Jesus even says here. They would not be as guilty if I had not come. Obviously, we know that Jesus isn't saying guilty, period, because the Bible clearly teaches all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it's not that Jesus here to contradict other scripture would have said to them they wouldn't have been guilty at all. Again, if you study the original, it's as guilty. Okay? And I want to direct your attention to this passage in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning at verse 20. Listen to what Jesus says here. Then Jesus began to criticize openly the cities in which he had done many of his miracles because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, notice now what Jesus says. It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. There will be degrees of punishment and judgment. Just as there are degrees of reward for Christians in heaven... Not every Christian is going to be rewarded equally. Not every Christian will have the same roles and responsibilities because not every Christian is going to be equally faithful and diligent in their Christian life. So there will be levels in heaven of reward. Every Christian, true Christian, will get to heaven, but the rewards will be all different. Jesus teaches that other places. Same thing is true about judgment. Not every person who rejects Jesus Christ will experience the same judgment. Those who have been given greater light and rejected it will be actually judged more severely. And Jesus clearly teaches that here. Notice what he says in verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be thrown down to Hades. For if the miracles done among you... Don't miss what Jesus says here. This is amazing. If the miracles done among you had been done in Sodom... It would still be around. Think about that. Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah on Sunday. Abraham's prayer of intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah out of Genesis. The first actual prayer we're going to look at in the prayer series. And Jesus says, If if the things I did here would have been done there, it would still be around. And then he goes on to say, but I tell you, it will be more bearable for the region of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Why? Because they had Jesus, the Son of God, right there speaking to them, doing miracles. And they rejected it. And so clearly, what the Bible teaches is, the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. The more we know, the more we are responsible for See, that's an important principle for us as disciples, because as disciples, we are encouraged to continue to increase, to grow, to learn, to progress. But with that comes the added responsibility that the more we take in, the more we're responsible for. All right, back to John 15. Two other verses and then we'll close. Yeah, you see, you see, see, I'm doing good. When the Advocate comes, who we know is the Holy Spirit, the one who gives evidence that stands, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. He's not going to compromise the truth just like Jesus didn't compromise the truth. Which, again, can I go back real quick? That's, again, why the world has a problem. Because the world doesn't want to hear truth. The world doesn't want to be made uncomfortable the world doesn't want to be told it's doing anything wrong. And can I say, when Christians are not in a good place spiritually, the same attitude is present in their life as well. Which is why many times when Christians are out of step with God, they, they, they back off from church. They back off from the Word of God because they don't want to come to a place where they're made to feel uncomfortable, where they're told they're doing anything wrong, where they might experience conviction, they don't want any of that. They want to be told, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, we're all going to be okay. And that's the way a lot of churches are today. Hey, let's just tell everybody we're going to be okay, because we're going to be okay, right? How sad. What a false, again, cosmetic, you know, band-aid type of a solution to to the reality of the problems we see in the world. And why do we see then the world being in the shape that it is? Because guess what? The world doesn't have the answers. The answers are the truth. And people don't want to hear the truth today. And so the Spirit is going to share the truth as well. Who goes out from the Father. And He will testify about me. He will bear witness to me. But he also is not only going to bear witness in and of himself, or in a sense, independent. He's also going to bear witness through us, his disciples, which is then why Jesus says, And you also will testify. Because that's why Jesus told them to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit came on them in Acts chapter 1, they could go then and be witnesses. Jesus never expected his followers to bear witness and testify in a hostile world apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. But when those men and women, when they were inhabited by the Holy Spirit, oh my goodness, their lives changed. And their witness went from this level to that level. That's why someone like Peter could deny the Lord a few weeks earlier. And when the Holy Spirit came upon him, now he's standing in front of thousands of people on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. The very place where Jesus was murdered and he was preaching the gospel. What can explain the change? The presence of the Holy Spirit. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives to enable us to testify and witness, even in a hostile environment, that's why Jesus could confidently send us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's why he could say, go, even though the world's going to hate you. Because Jesus knew, as long as you and I have the Holy Spirit living within us, we have everything we need to stand up for Jesus in this world you see. And then he says, here's why you're going to testify. Because you have been with me from the beginning. Speaking of his earthly ministry, these guys have accompanied Jesus. They have walked with him. They have been in fellowship with him for three years. They know him. That's why they can more accurately represent Him because they have walked with Him every day. This is why the Holy Spirit is such obviously a great witness of who Jesus is. Because the Holy Spirit knows Jesus better than anyone other than the Father. And He can accurately represent who Jesus is to the world when the Holy Spirit testifies and bears witness. This is why God calls us to be disciples. Because it's only a disciple who walks with Jesus every day, who accompanies Him, who is close to Him, who spends intimate time with Him, only that person can accurately represent Him. You see, a Christian who keeps their distance from God, who never spends time with God, who never fellowships with God, doesn't know Jesus very well, and therefore cannot accurately represent Him to the world. That's why Jesus calls us not just to make Christians, but to make disciples because it will be disciples. Those who accompany Jesus every day, those who are close to him, those who walk with him and have intimate contact with him all the time. Those are the ones that can accurately represent. And we know that principle to be true in our lives. Would we want somebody representing us to someone else that didn't know us very well, who was just an acquaintance, maybe we'd spent, I don't know, a couple hours with? Or would we be more comfortable having someone represent us to someone else that knew us? I mean, they've spent not only hours with us, they've spent years with us. They know us, therefore, who can represent us better to someone else? The person who's closer to us, right? That's why Jesus calls us to be close, That's why Jesus calls us to be disciples. That's why he calls us as the church to make disciples. Because in that word disciple implies the word closeness and intimacy. Just what Jesus says here. You guys were with me. You've been with me for three years. You've seen me. You've experienced everything. Therefore, you can accurately represent. And so Jesus sends them out even into this hostile environment, knowing that they have everything they need to bear witness. I hope tonight that you've been encouraged, once again, to be that light and to seize those opportunities that God gives you out in the world to shine the light of Jesus Christ to a world that so desperately needs Jesus. Yes, you will invite the hatred of the world when you walk in step with Jesus, But you belong to Jesus. He'll take care of you. And you belong to the body of Christ. You have a place you belong. Don't worry about fitting in with the world and belonging to the world. You don't belong to the world anymore, as Jesus says. Jesus chose you out of the world for His purpose and for His glory. Be content with that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for the Word of Jesus, the Word of God, that can inspire us and strengthen us, can rally us, Lord, and, and realign our lives and shape our hearts. And God, I pray tonight that we would have the desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to accompany Him every day of our lives, to spend time with Him, to get to know Him, to be as close to Him as we possibly can be. Lord, not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of, of others so that we can more accurately represent who He is to those we come in contact with, so that we can more easily uh, and, and, and more familiar reflect who He is to others. God, use this passage tonight to just resonate within us, to make us more like Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. Hey guys, thank you. Don't again forget, pray about the land be praying about baptisms on Saturday, child dedication on Sunday. We continue our prayer series and maybe we'll have something for you next week as far as an update goes. Thanks for being here. God bless you.